All right, everybody. Good morning. Good evening. Good afternoon. Wherever you are in this world, you know, I like to say that this is Max from the Fearless Happiness Podcast. And I know I say this all the time and I got very special guests, but these are two very, very special guests that I got on my podcast today. I think um, you're going to learn a lot about the other side of addiction and, and what it does to the family. But we're also going to have fun with it. Um, this is my friend, my good friend, Brennan, who was a guest on my podcast uh, before. This is his parents, Lisa and Jeff. And uh, we're going to get the parent side of addiction and how it affects the family and stuff like that. Because a lot of you know, I'm a, I'm a substance abuse counselor myself. And it's it's funny because I know Jeff and Lisa have been involved when when Brennan was going through his thing. But you don't understand. There's a lot of parents that drop off their their child at treatment, and then they say, "Well, fix him. We'll be back in 90 days." Or her, and I'm like, "Wait a minute. That's not how it works." But what I really want to do is introduce them, or have you introduce yourselves, like I have all my guests do. Introduce yourself, who you are, and what it is you guys do, and whose parents you are. Again, and we'll get rocking and rolling. So we'll start with Lisa. Ladies first. I am, hi, I'm Lisa Colleen. I'm Renan's mother. Um, and I own a health health club and a coffee and wine house. So I stay pretty busy with that. And I have some rentals as well. Nice. See, we got entrepreneurs on here too. So it all mm -hmm. works out. Go ahead, Jeff. You're next. I'm Jeff, Jeff Colleen, and I do the same thing she does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also an engineer by trade, and I'm a construction guy, too. So I do a lot of the work and everything on all our businesses. I stay pretty busy myself. We're, we're entrepreneurs, and we, we never sit, for the most part. Yeah, never a dull moment, right? Yeah. Um, so, everybody, I wanted to bring them on today, right? Because you've heard me interview guests who have been come from addiction into recovery, uh, and what I want to do today is give the family side. And, and you heard Brennan in, in a previous, you know, share his story. But a lot of the times we don't get to hear the parents and what they go through. Right. And I wanted them to become a guest. And it's kind of like my my thank you to my mom who put up with a lot of my BS when I was going through my thing. Right. And um, unfortunately, she passed away about seven years ago now. Um and I had the privilege of knowing Brennan for a long time. And right. We had the sponsor sponsee relationship. And then we just turned it into, we became very, very good friends as Lisa and Jeff know. And, you know, I miss him very much and I know you do too, but so I, what I'd like to go get into is share from your perspective, Lisa and Jeff, like the stuff, like the early challenges you went through with Brennan when it came to his addiction and how it affected the whole family and, because, you know, we could sit here for hours and hours and talk about, I mean, we don't have to get like into gory detail, but I want the audience to know that it's not just the individual who suffers. It's everybody around that individual, right? But how you guys loved him back to health and how he found, you know, found Jesus Christ and how he kind of brought the family back together, right, in his recovery. But what was it like back then when you started noticing there's something's not going on really good with Brennan right now? And how long of a show is this? As long as we want. <laughs> I'm the owner, so we can go as long as you want. Okay. <laughs> well, if, if we go way back, um, way back to the beginning, um, Jeff and I did not 
so we have we have four children, um, two older daughters, then Brennan, and then a younger son, Jaden. And Brooke wasn't there, right? Brooke was moved out. So it was just um, Brennan and Jaden in the household yet. The other the two girls had had moved out. And uh, and Jaden was always or Brennan was always a really good kid. Um, he was super hyper and climbed the walls and he was like a monkey, but um, he was always a good kid, always came home on time, always respectful. And, and to go back a little further, um, his father and the girl's father um, was an alcoholic and, and did drugs as well. So Brennan initially, when he was a young teen, was just so against drugs and alcohol because he saw what it did to his father. And um but he was in sports. Um, and at the time when he started using, we didn't know that he had been um, sexually violated a couple of times when he was a young boy. And uh, we just saw a change in his in his mood, in his work ethic, in his his temper. Um, and we we didn't know why. Um, Probably denial. Well, uh, in a way, because yeah. back then, you know, it just wasn't that common in our eyes yet. He didn't, the didn't have yeah the drug part or taking drug. We you know he didn't see any alcohol disappearing or anything like that. So we and you know you just didn't really hear about people taking oxycontin like that yet because he was like the start of that generation that really got into that you know right the, the pills and stuff. Before that, it was pretty much cocaine and weed and right. all that. You know what I mean? It just like for us anyhow, like maybe we were naive or whatever. But we just hadn't heard a lot about it in his generation. You know, it really started to become a hot topic, I would say. Exactly. Because that's even in my addiction, right? It was like you said, it was more cocaine. It was more alcohol than mm-hmm. speed, right? And and a little bit of heroin that I, I knew of, right? But like, you're right. His generation, when as a counselor, like I'm seeing these kids come in that are addicted to these pills. And I'm just like. Yeah, it's like pills wow. took off then. Yeah, it it, it, it was. And he would tell me stories, right? Like how, you know, how bad it was, right? And, but how people would hide that. Like parents didn't even know like what was going on, right? Yeah. So go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Yeah, no, that's okay. Um, you know, and he was always this kid that was never late, would always come upstairs to my room, tell me that he was home, kiss me goodnight. And because of my experience with my ex-husband always drinking, and as being a mother of a teenager, you kind of would smell his, you know, when he'd come to kiss me goodnight, I'd kind of sniff a little bit, you know, and <laughs> right. just never smelled alcohol on him. Um, so I never really thought anything or thought thought anything was going on until he started to act a little weird. And that was probably when he was maybe 17. Um and we just were we would talk about it, he and I, and and we would be like, this isn't Brennan like you know well maybe that's just who he's turning into this has a temper and whatever else but um but then some weird things started happening um I was in a car accident 40 years ago and I've been on or I had been taking um hydrocodone for off and on for my issues with my back and my shoulders so I would get like a 30 pills and they would last me almost a year. You know, I would just take right. them when I really needed to, you know, and I would 
go in my pill container and, and just kind of like blame me. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, right. It's your fault, Jeff. I know you're taking them. And I would be, you know, cause I didn't take them that much. Um, when I looked <clears> in the <throat> bottle, it was like, okay, well, I haven't taken any for three months, but boy, it seems like I should have had more kind of thing. And, you know, then just forget about it. And, and then it started to happen a little more frequently. So then I started counting my pills, <coughs> um, hiding, hiding them. And, and he would find them. I, and I didn't know it at the time until he started counting them. But the thing that really gave it away was um, when he was 18, he had to have his wisdom teeth removed. And when he got back into the car with me, um, I had a, he was holding on to the prescription for the Oxycontin right. or whatever, I think it was Oxycontin that they prescribed for him for this procedure. And they prescribed 30 pills and he was holding it. I came back to where we live, this, the town where we live, went to our small little pharmacy who I know everybody handed him the prescription. A couple minutes later, those pharmacists came out and called me aside and said, um, do you know that when you tamper with a prescription that it's a it's a felony? I could have you arrested. And I had no clue what he was talking about. Right. Well, when I went, went into Walgreens to get gauze and stuff for Brennan and he was in the car with his prescription, he changed the three into eight. So it was 80 pills, which, of course, the pharmacist is going to be like, OK, yeah. you know, so so then got home, questioned Brennan, denied it. You know, and he was out of it because he was on the pills and everything. And, and, you know, and I was naive because I wanted to believe him. And he was very convincing. I think very most good. addicts yeah. are probably very convincing. But I kind of, it's just kind of was the red flag to kind of watch and things. But he wasn't that bad that I don't think that we really could say that he, besides just being short, a little short fused with us. Um, he still was coming home on time and, and he seemed okay. And then, um, he, and he held a job down in all this. All right. But, and then, um, okay. Where was I going to go with that? Oh, and then I was at work at, we had just opened the fitness club. Oh, maybe a year or two into that. I got a call from my daughter who is a therapist and works with, um, drug and alcohol patients and she called and she said mom you know I've got something to tell you so Brennan had reached out to her and he knew he had an issue and needed some help so she helped him get um entered into a, a detox center in Milwaukee okay and then still at that time we thought okay he's going to be okay you know he'll yeah come people up. do stupid stuff and get over it and you know yeah just drink right. or drink this and yeah and then when we took him to a psychologist um, and they were going to prescribe Suboxone. And I remember the, I remember him telling me that Brennan would have to be on it for the rest of his life. And at that time, you know, that was a long time ago. So um, financially it was, wow. You know, cause I think it was eight, $900 a month for this prescription. But See, we done I want to stop you real quick here, right? Yeah. Like, hearing that from a doctor like he's gonna have to be on that for the rest of his life right so we're taught like as a you know I, well i was worked for my sponsor who were 
Brendan had gone before, right? What mm-hmm. I've learned about that drug, it's supposed to help with withdrawal, right? Like it's supposed to be for detox, help him get off and then slowly wean off it, right? So this is why I don't understand where doctors, right? They they have the, the you know, the MD and they've gone through all these years of school, but I know more about addiction than half the doctors, right? So if a doctor told me that or told one of my clients, I'd be like, hey, wait a minute. That's not right, right? Because you just saw, you just said, that's about $800, $900 a month, which tells me these doctors don't really get to know your patient, right? Like Mm -hmm. if he was in serious pain from an accident or whatever, right? Maybe, maybe, right? But what I've experienced in the addiction treatment field is that they just love giving it out like it's Skittles, you know? And, And I'm always the advocate for my clients. I'm like, why do you need to be on that much? When I hear how much they're on, I'm like, but here's the thing too. You can't just take it away from them because you know how you've probably seen Brandon when he's come off heroin or you know, the, the withdrawals and the anger. And it's like, you take someone suboxone away, they're going to act the same way. They're like, no, you're not. You're gonna have to kill me for this. Right. <laughs> and I say this, yeah. right. Because when I hear things like that, right, I don't think these doctors really understand what they're doing. Right. And I'm sure there's some out there that specialize in addiction that know, but the biggest makers of, of addicts are doctors. You you guys mm-hmm. know, right? I mean, luckily for you, you, business, you know? absolutely, right? Like you knew, like I didn't need, like I'm just saying, I was never a pill popper. So if I was in pain, ibuprofen was always enough, but I could just imagine, that's why I'll never, even to this day with almost 20 years sober, right? I'll tell the doctor ibuprofen's enough because I don't want to chance it, right? Because all it takes is that one little brain to go, oh, this is cool, right? Mm-hmm. So if one's going to help, imagine if I take five or 10 or mm. right, which Brennan, him and I used to talk about all the time. It's when that hook kicked in, he was like, okay, if I'm running out of this, I got to keep this going. Right. And which ended up making his addiction worse as we know, right before he right. got sober. But I just had to bring that up because I hear, when I hear that, it makes my skin crawl when a doctor's willing to go, Oh, they're going to be on this the rest of their lives. No, that's, they don't have to be, right. you know what I mean? They don't, in certain cases, yes, I understand that. But go ahead. Right. <laughs> I, just, I had to I had to bring that up because this is where I get very passionate about these doctors just handing out medication like it's nothing. Right. Right. When they know that a lot of these are very addictive. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And yeah, and they're still doing it today. I mean mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I we can't a, stop it. I have a great nephew that just had um surgery and on his leg and they've I think he's six and they prescribed oxycontin for him a six-year-old yes holy the parents my nephew wouldn't wouldn't allow it but I mean how scary is that you know right what if there was a mother you know who just said go ahead doc do it you know because I'm going to probably share this with my six-year-old son yeah that's the scary thing that's just right there's a lot of parents that'll be like ooh. You know, let's get extra pills. You know, that's yeah. it's just sad. It really is. Yeah. yeah. So um, from there, you know, we left that that therapist or that psychologist's office, and you know, we were going to do whatever we had to do to to help Brennan. So we had agreed to do it, but 
turns out a couple of years later, we found out this doctor was really, when we got Brennan into some treatment in that same city, this doctor practiced in, we were warned about this doctor that oh, he does this, right? Right. But anyway, so we just kind of went on with life thinking Brendan was going to be okay because, you know, he had said, he kept telling us, I am going to be fine. You know, I detox, you know, I'll never touch that stuff again. And we believed it. And um, man, if I just went on and on for each year, I'd be on here for hours. So I'm going to fast forward. Um, so he, uh, he ended up getting clean and, uh, after okay so he he wasn't clean after we had gone to the psychiatrist he started using again but then it got to a point where he knew and that's one thing with brennan he he always had good work ethic he always wanted to do the right thing um he just was always a, a really good polite kid and um cared about everybody else and and um so he decided he was going into the air force um, Jeff had talked with him and just said, you know, you, you've got to make some decisions. You've got to do something. And he, he always wanted to go into the military, always wanted to be a policeman. So he enlisted in the military, into the air force and he was doing amazing, got airman of the quarter, um, twice and, and just really excelling, which he always did it. Everything he did, he would excel and, and people just loved him. And then he would just get stuck in the addiction and right. relationships ruined Burned, jobs burned lost, bridges bridges yeah. burned you know but he was doing good <clears throat> in the air force and that's a whole nother thing i don't even probably want to touch upon too much today um but he ended up getting hurt uh, a couple of times he ended up getting a, his jaw broken i talked with the um surgeon because i quick flew got a one-way ticket to california to be with him and I talked to the surgeon and I talked with um, the doctor at the Air Force uh, at the, what do you call it? Where, you, where he is, where he was at Vandenberg. Um, oh, at the base? Yeah, the base, that's the word. And uh, I told the doctor, I don't want him taking, you know, you can't give him anything but ibuprofen, no narcotics, explained to him, you know, and it was hard for me because I didn't want to ruin his career in the Air Force, right? But right. I didn't want him to be hooked on on drugs again when he was doing so well. But when I walked in the hospital room, he was already hooked up to the morphine. Um, but I and the doctor assured me, yeah, that's not a problem. It's not a problem. And uh, but he's going to be in a lot of pain. And I said, well, let's just try, you know, something else and see if it helps. Well, it's hard to even remember. My, my I was so like just not in a good headspace. I was so worried about everything and him and him relapsing and starting to right. use again, things like that. But, um, so he, he left the hospital and he had, I don't even remember. He had liquid Vicodin. He had Adderall. They gave him, um, oh, all kinds of, oh, um, fentanyl patches, all kinds of stuff. Well, then I guess, the way it works in the military is then you have to go to the doctor there on base. And they went there, he went there and they prescribed even more stuff. And it was almost like, you know, being there with Brendan for 10 days, I think I stayed to help him, um, you know, jaw wired up all this yucky stuff. It was constant text messages or reminders. You have another prescription to be, 
picked up at whatever pharmacy it was, you know, and so anyway, um, so he was back, um, reliant on drugs again. And, uh, again, I'll, I'll fast forward again. Um, he, he went into treatment there for quite a long time. Um, I forgot what the treatment center was, what the name was, but he got out of there eventually, um, was honorably discharged from the air force. Um, I think he was there for a little over two years and, um, that's a whole nother story. Right. Right. But he came back, he ended up meeting somebody when he was in treatment. Um, a nurse there ended up marrying her, ended up getting her pregnant. And they, when he was discharged from the air force, he got in the car and drove he and his wife back to Wisconsin. And then that's when things got really bad. That's when he was in a, um, um, what do you, what do you call it? The sober, sober living house. Right. And he had gone to the gym and worked out, came home, went down to the basement to watch TV. And one of the guys down there was shooting heroin and Brennan had never done that before. He just done pills. Right. And the guy talked him into shooting. So that was his new drug then heroin. Um, you want to pop yeah. in and say anything? <laughs> See, but this is what I want my audience to understand, right? If you knew my friend Brennan, you wouldn't even think because he was in such great shape, you know, like, because, you know, I'm, one of my missions is to break that stigma, right? But that an addict is not always the guy that you see, like, sticking a needle in his arm, right? Or the alcoholic who's behind the store with a brown paper bag, right? It's It's Jeff, it's, you know... It's me. It's it's people that you don't even think, right? Because mm -hmm. you would look at them and they go, oh, they look fine, right? Because Brennan's really good at going, I'm like, even before he passed, right? He would tell me, I'm fine. And I, luckily, I knew him enough. I, I knew he wasn't getting high, but I would go like, dude, what's going on? Like, you don't look, you don't look fine, right? And then I'd tell him that acronym, what fine stands for. And then he would tell me, right? Because we know that he was so passionate about helping veterans and right and and getting them the services they need and i know um I'll tell the honest a little bit about him he became a chaplain for the local sheriff's department where he lived and stories he would tell me about these people that were coming in where his store was right and 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 you know brennan once he's on a mission like none of us could tell him dude you need to back off a little bit let's go get help don't do this alone right but you know him he's like hey i think there's something funny going on there right and mm -hmm. And and you guys know what happened, you know, when he got beat up at his house and, and all the, you know, concussions he had over the years, right? Yeah. And what I want the audience to know is, right, not we're not just talking about Brendan's addiction, but the damage it did to his body, you know, even after he got sober, right? Even though he was a healthy guy and always tried to work out and eat right. Um, so I remember the first time I met him, and I was like, you know, hit him on the shoulders, like hitting a rock. I'm like, dude, <laughs> he's all, let's go work out, bro. You know? And yeah, but he has you two to thank for that. Cause he got, you know, he, he grew up in, in that environment where healthy living. Right. And like you said, he was always respectful to me to, I've never seen him disrespectful when I, at the place I worked, you know, for my sponsor where he went, he was always very nice and very respectful. And it took a lot to get him angry. You know what I mean? Like, he would see things 
what I'm getting at is though, is, um, you know, Brennan had a lot going on in his life. Right. And, and he had you two wonder, he spoke very highly of you, Jeff. He loved his mom. He loved you both his sisters, but I know he always struggled with that. Whatever went on with him in his younger years and, you know, his addiction and, Right. Because I know I remember I'll just I used to sponsor him and we tried to get into some deep conversation. And there were certain things he would just like you would put the brake on and go, eh, we'll talk about that another time. Right. And I'm sure he did that with you yeah. guys. Right. Yeah. And, and it's that's what makes it difficult as parents. Right. Like when you're trying to find out what's going on with you, son. And he's like telling you, I'm fine. I'm good. Right. And, you know, as a mom and a dad, you're like, no, you're not. Just tell. Right. So how was that? Right. Because. He comes home from the military, which he told me about. And I remember he told me about what happened when he got his job broken. And right. And he told me these stories about when he was in the hospital, the last like one of the times before he got sober, he finally, you know, said, I, I'm done. Right. We won't get into that. But, you know, what happened in the hospital. Yep. Um, and this is the stuff that I deal with on a daily basis. Right. With clients where they tell me their stuff and it's. So it's different for parents. So how did you support him? I know because I have three children of my own and they're a chip off the old block, right? And and you guys know, I've shared with you, my son had a stroke, right? Be at 30 years old because of his drug addiction and poor choices. And, and, you know, there's part of me, even though when he was recovering, I wanted to jump into bed and like slap him around and go, see, you didn't listen to dad, right? Like all you had to do is listen to dad and you wouldn't be in this situation. Mm -hmm. Right. But, you know, as parents, you had to ha let Brendan have that journey. Right. As tough as it was. How was that? Let's get it. How was that for you when you knew there was it wasn't right, but you try to support him without like being overbearing and you know what I mean? Or playing the tough love, because I know I you guys you had go, to do that, too. Right. Yeah, I think you go through phases with that. You right. know, you know, the first phase is like this isn't happening. He'll be fine. He's just experimenting. We all did it, you know. Right. And it's the next phase, like, oh, my God, there's something going on. You know, well, if we dig in with it and really stick by his side for a little while, we'll, we'll figure it out. Then there's the next phase. I think we need to let go. Let him go do his thing. I mean, listening to us, blah, blah, blah. Right. You know, then the next phase sucks you back in again. Then your faith always brings you back, you know, to, like, we can't just – it's just, like, there were so many phases, you know, but – I think there's one thing that, you know, is, is your audience should know is like how, you know, they, everybody has this, this stigma about how this happens, you know, who this happens to and whatever, but you know, that Brennan was four years old when I met Lisa, you know, so he was awful young. He didn't really know his dad quite yet other right. than what was going on, you know? Um, so, you know, Lisa was in a bad marriage abusive ver verbally physically uh actually had to hide when she left her husband because he was going to kill her that kind of stuff you know um i come in the picture and i'm seven years younger than lisa so i'm 24 years old you know and and i met her and and i'm a totally different guy than what they're all used to you know i'm just laid right. back and i am what i am but i was 24 you know i haven't had family yet so none of that stuff's in my head like she has already you know <laughs> right so you know it's a different whatever but brennan from that day forward when i met lisa brennan was brought up into a sound family orientated 
situation where she, he did not see two parents sitting at a kitchen table drinking every night, right. not smoking, you know, got up every day, went to work, <laughs> did the right things, played games with the kids, went on camping vacations, did, you know what I mean? We, we were a family all, in, in fact, we went to Catholic church at that time, you know, because we right. both were raised Catholic, we're Christians now, but that's what we were raised. So we, we had God in our family, you know? Right. Um, so he was raised in that environment, you know, so it was a calm, sensible environment from four on. Right. You know, unfortunately, some bad things happened to him from some very close family members and friends that you thought would never happen, leaving your child with them. Right. But this happens more than you ever know. You know, we find out later that it happens to a lot of kids, you know. Right. From uncles and just everything, you know. So it's kind of sad that that happens. And, you know, you wonder if you go back and wonder if you would have known right then, could you have fixed all this? But I really feel like something like addiction is something you're just born with. Because his dad had it, his dad had it. You know, my dad wasn't addicted to anything, and I'm not, right. you know, or my mom. So I don't know. Would he have been? Would I be? I, I don't know. But right. I think it's just something that you wish you would know early on. Maybe you could steer it and help it a little bit better. But, you know, Brennan's path was Brennan's path. The more I, be path, the more I become a Christian, I understand it more and more every day. Right. You know, and, you, like you said, how do you support it knowing that, there's not a lot you can do. You can't control the situation. You think right. you can, but you never will. Right. You know, that's probably and, the hardest thing as a parent, thinking that because you, you can control everything your kid does. No, you can't take the car. No, you're not driving tonight. Right. No, you're, you know, but you cannot control that situation. You just absolutely can't. right. Because, like you said, we're great manipulators, right? We will make you think that we're doing everything that you want us to do, right? But as soon as you turn your back, right? And there's one thing you said, Jeff, that I appreciate, right? Not every alcoholic or addict comes from this horrible background where there was tons of abuse, right? I can't say that I was, right? I had, yes, I my single mom, you know, and, you know, she got remarried again, but there was no abuse in my family. There was, she never, she was strict, but she didn't like, you know, beat me all the time or my brother, you know what I mean? Or, mm -hmm. and, and, and you're right though, because when I got it, a year sober, I asked, you know, my mom took me aside and she goes, you know, your dad was alcoholic. And I said, you just tell me that now. And she goes, if you're, a, you're like your dad, you would have did it anyway. There would have been nothing I could have done. Right. And even though I tried early on to stop it, she goes, I just had to let you go through it. Right. And this is the journey. And you know, I was able to give her 14 years of sobriety before she passed away, but you said it perfectly. There's nothing you guys could have done any different that would have stopped it, right? If he was on that path or if it was in his gene, because I look back and my mom says, your dad was alcoholic, her biological, her who died when she was 10 or 13, 10, between 10 and 13 was an alcoholic and drug addict, right? Because he was a prisoner of war in World War II. And back in those days, you got shot. They pulled the bullet and said, here's morphine. It'll help you feel better, right? They didn't know it was going to, but you know, it runs deep on both sides of my family, just like depression does, right? Both sides of my family. And, you know, but sometimes there are people that, you know, grow up in that environment and they're the totally opposite. They never touch a drug in the day in their life, right? Their dad or mom could be. Um, but you did, like you said, you did everything possible. Because like I said, he spoke very highly of his mother and, and you and that it was a loving, you know, it was a great family. It wasn't the family environment that caused him, it was, you know, going out there being a teenager and then getting hooked up with the wrong people 
And then also, right, having that gene in his in his DNA that says you're you're prone to becoming an addict if you're not careful, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there it, it, it was very trying times for Lisa and I for many years, you know. And you might think it was just me that always said, "Turn your back." This we're done. He can't come home anymore, you know. But there <laughs> right. was times she would say that, and I'd I'd be the one to say, "Well, you know, if he needs money right now, maybe we can send it, and it'll maybe get him to the next week, you know, or whatever." So it wasn't, but yeah, it wasn't always agreements, and you know, there was there was arguments between us a lot because you just you know it's just you know you're you're dealing with a master manipulator right you know most addicts a lot of addicts are but brennan was very good <laughs> i know you know <laughs> he, he knew personalities and he knew how to feed off of them you know and just work his, his angle always you know so there was a lot of that where i'd say to lisa you know oh he's using he's using you man he know he's he's working his angle on you don't believe it you know that kind of stuff and she'd get mad at me. No, it's my son. I got to do it. You know, so there was a lot of uh, that. It's, it's horrible. It's horrible. It, it destroys. It can destroy and rip apart families. I mean, it's still painful today when we talk about what we all went through because I'm very, you know, I we have four children and, um, you know, some of them aren't resentful, but they missed me for so many years because I was so focused on saving Brennan's life, you know, and, you know, and I went to Al-Anon and I went to some treatment things with Brennan and, you know, there were, there were things said to me that I didn't follow through with like the tough love. They have to hit rock bottom kind of thing. If I would have been that kind of a parent, Brennan would have died way yeah, you know, I think longer ago. I think with our support, because we didn't just turn her back. I we got thirty some years out of him, which I don't think we would have ever got. Right. Know? I think because we stayed supportive and you know always encouraging him, even after I mean he threatened to beat me up or you know all this stuff when he was really you know out there. Right. Um, but yeah, we stuck by him, and he you know because when they're sober, they always know you know like. Right. They come and they realize, you know. And and we knew who he was when he right. wasn't using. He was loving and, and so respectful and um just, just like, a big yeah. heart oh, yeah. about everyone and everything. I mean, and even through through this really bad times when he was homeless, um he would still, you know, when when he was high or whatever, whatever he was doing. He would still check in with me because he knew I worried every night that he was going to die. He would, I'm doing okay, mom. Don't worry. You know, he'd give me updates. I mean, he was just a very respectful son in, in all kinds but, of ways. But, you know, hard with a tough love or arguments that way. But I think a lot of people don't realize how hard it is to sit at home and know your son's sleeping on a park bench in L.A., with no clothes, you know what I mean? And you just, you just feel so helpless, you know, cause you feel like you can always control every situation. Oh, let's just call and get him a hotel. Let's see, you know, but you just couldn't cause you would have been doing it every night. You right. Know, you would take advantage of it, you know? So you had to tell him, you know, but yeah, and, and he never asked for anything. No, he didn't. He never asked. I mean, and I would a lot of times secretively, like, to, like I didn't know. <laughs> my, my my younger daughter, her and I were together trying to save him, you know, and, and we would call each other at midnight, one o'clock in the morning, you know, have you heard from Brennan or, 
you know, how about we chip in, get him a hotel? And because he he wouldn't ask. There was one time he came to my house and and I had, this was when I was going to Al-Anon and things. And he came and it was, we're in Wisconsin. It was probably 30 below. It was so cold out. I opened the front door, he's on the porch and I, I could tell that he was high and possibly withdrawing because he was shaking. And well, of course it was 30 below, but uh-huh. um, that was the only time I ever told, I, well, you know, we had another child in the house and I just could not let Brennan, I couldn't expose Jaden to Brennan when he was high. It was right. just Jaden had anxiety from it already. But there was at one time that he came and he, he asked if he could please stay by me that night. And I looked at him and I said, I can't, Brennan. I, can't. I, I mean, I can hardly even talk about it today. Right. That's the one time I did that. I shoved the door and, and I knew he was going to sleep outside. But he, he found a friend who let him sleep in his barn. And then he was living in a barn for a while. And it just, it's just, yeah. So anyway, so I wasn't there, like there, there for my family, like, I should have been. Um, so you, you know, you still have that you're dealing with too, where your Amen. other kids or your husband feels worse. My wife, because I'm just like Brennan, 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 Brennan. Phone would ring if it was Jeff or or Brooke or Ashley, and I was busy. Um, you know, I'd be like, oh, I'll call him back. But when it was Brennan's ring, I wouldn't miss that call. I'd have to grab that phone, you know. And they saw that, and it was just. So it just takes a toll on on your big time. And then, then there's the other aspect. There's the <clears throat> other aspect of being a father and and knowing you need to protect your family. And a lot of people don't think about this, but I would think a lot of times, who is he running with right now? Who you know? Who does right. he owe money to? I have I have a young child that's six, <laughs> seven, eight, nine, ten years old during this time. I have a wife out there. I have two daughters out there. They have kids, you know, down the line years later and. There was a lot of times, I mean, I didn't tell her, but there was certain things I kind of did and watched just to make sure that we didn't have somebody coming to retaliate against their family because he's down in Milwaukee. You know, Milwaukee's not a good area. There's a lot of bad people down there. Right. You know, we, live, we live in a very <laughs> nice little town that's very safe. A lot of people wouldn't understand, you know, but right. very simple town with not a lot of crime, you know, so you would worry. You know, absolutely. I'm up here and you know need money from them, or yeah, I, I use it. And then we own businesses, so it's not like we were hard, not hard to find out who we were. You right. know, so I did worry a lot about that too, but I never would mention that to her because I never wanted her to worry about it. Right. You know? And see, and that's that's I know now as a parent who's gone through what you guys did, right? Because. When my son was in his active addiction, I remember he was just out of control, right? He would, you know, if he didn't get something from me, he would just lash out like, you're the worst dad ever, right? And, right, because you guys know part of my story, right? Like, I didn't see my kids for nine years because of my addiction, right? So they knew how to play on my, right, my guilt and my shame, right? They just had, they were very manipulative and he would try everything and, um, I remember trying to get him help and we found him a scholarship. It would have been in Virginia, right? Way away from California. And long story short, we're trying to help him getting this information so we could send him a ticket. Right. And all of a sudden he just starts calling my wife a bitch and starts cussing at me. And I'm like, wait, 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 whoa, where's this coming from? Right. And here's where that tough love had to come in. I go, look, you're not going to talk to my wife that way. Um, 
you know, I got his mom yelling at me in the background, grandma, you know what I mean? You need to do something. And I'm like, I'm I'm trying here. Right. But once you start laying into my wife for no reason, who's just trying to help you and you're cussing at me, I was like, I had to do what my mom did to me the last time. Right. And I said, look, if you can't be respectful, then don't call him. You know, he's cussing. I said, okay. Last thing you heard was me hang up. Right. And I blocked him everywhere. Every social, he couldn't get hold of me. So here's what happened two months later, two months down the road, right? I get a call and this is just after my granddaughter passed away, right? A week earlier, my granddaughter passes away at three day, uh, three months and a day old of mitochondrial and skids, right? If you guys remember what boy in the bubble that how he had to live in the bubble. So she had a double whammy I'm on my way to work and my daughter calls and she's upset and your son's in the hospital. He's dying. I'm like, what? Well, he had a stroke at 30 years old because, right? But he was sleeping near the railroad tracks by the college, right? Mom had kicked him out of the house. He was at his worst. And, and so I understand, like, what you're saying. So, like, Jeff, I'm doing the father thing. You know, I'm protecting my family, my new wife, and, you know, even my daughters. And, and you know, I'm trying to help out. But he's playing both sides, right? And... What I remember from my mom was the last time I got arrested, she just, I remember looking, you know, the phone and she's across the glass and she's like, I love you, son, but you're no longer welcome. If you come near my home, I'm going to call the police. And if my neighbors see you and I'm not home, they're going to call the police. What are you going to do? Right. So thank God that she did that. Right. Because here I am almost 20 years later, still sober. But that was one of those things where I knew and I looked in her eyes like she was serious. Like, I love you so much, but I have to do this. Like, do not come near me unless you're sober. Right. And I gave her the best answer ever was, I don't know. And I remember her crying. I'm like, what are you crying for? I got to go to the cell. You get to go home. Right. But we <laughs> cried together. Right. And that started my journey. But see, now I understand is on as your parent, as you as parents, right, you try to do your best right? And I get it, Lisa, right? Your daughters are probably looking at you like, mom, you have two daughters over here and Jeff's going, you got a husband over here. But when you're that focused, right? Because you think your child could die at any moment. And this is what I want my under my audience to understand it. It's tough. That's why it's called a family disease. Everyone suffers, right? Oh, yeah. In some form or fashion, because, you know, mom's trying to save her son, you're trying to save your son. Then you go like, no, look, you got other family members you need to take care of, right? It causes so much chaos. How did you guys finally get through that where you said enough is enough? Like, like for you, Lisa, like I got to take care of my husband and my other children. Brendan, you need to figure this out. Did you come to a point like that? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Actually, There's my answer, everybody. No, I'm just <laughs> No, but actually, Max, um, so I was praying to God every day on my knees for 15 years for Brennan to be healed, healed, saved, um, just to get over his addiction. Because he, he, he would try and he would try and he would relapse and he'd try and he'd relapse. I mean, it was just in treatment out. It just constant. And I knew he wanted it so bad you know and we didn't find out until 2014 that he had been molested by these right. people that i trusted um one was a female one was a male and um so 
Brennan, ever since he was a young boy, every year for Christmas, he put on his Santa list that he wanted a Bible. He's always loved the Lord. And um, when he got, when he went to treatment in California the last time with Daryl, okay. um, he, he had quite a bit of success there, um, but he relapsed again afterwards. Um, and he, he finally, okay, so I'm going to back up a little bit. So when I was praying and sobbing and just every night, um, I just felt God say to me that I needed to change my prayers to stop praying that God heals him. Pray that Brennan turns to him. And so I changed my prayers and I probably a year later, you know, it's when God's God's timing, not mine. Right. Right. Um, Brennan surrendered to Jesus. It's in his um, the, the video he did for um, TVN. TBN or TBN. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it's in his book and, and he just fell on his knees and surrendered, surrendered himself to Jesus. So ironically and beautifully, God blessed us, blessed me by using Brennan to teach me more about having a relationship with Jesus. So I was brought up Catholic did not have a very good experience. Um, I'm sure there's lots of great Catholic churches out there, but mine right. was, it was like, I was terrified. If I sinned, I was going to burn in hell, you know, right. just stuff like that. Right? Same experience at a different church. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's what we were taught our generation, yeah. right? Like, yeah. but yeah, for luckily sure. for me, I've only, I've, I got baptized later. Right. So I didn't go through like what you guys through younger and some of my friends did. Right. So I've only had good experiences. Right. Yeah. And, um, but everybody has stories about the nuns smacking their knuckles, right? When they're not paying oh, yeah. attention. Oh, to yeah. Catholic school. Top of your head. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. So, so, um, Brennan taught me how to have a relationship with Jesus, how not to be afraid, how I didn't have to say these, you know, I've been saying the same prayers since I was a little girl, the same eight prayers in the same order every night, trying not to fall asleep before, you know, right. just robotic kind of stuff and just taught me just talk with god mom just you know anyway so that is when i finally surrendered brennan to god because brennan taught me how to do that god used brennan to tell me how to do it and um it took me a while you know and yeah i did i still worry of course but i just felt god had him and i needed to start living again so that that was, uh, let's see, seven, 2017, I went out to California, I got baptized there, and then Brennan and I would do Bible studies, and it just was incredibly amazing, all that he taught me and how God used him. And I got to a point where I finally realized that I had, there was nothing I could do except to be there for him when he needed me, which I always was. But I had to stop worrying that he was going to die. And I, and I see now how I wasted so many 15 years of my life worrying about him dying. Yes, he did die last year, but um, he was there for those 15 years that I, that I really wasn't there because I was so afraid, you know. Right. But here's the thing that 
I, that I'm getting out of this, right? And I, I feel like I have a second family with you guys out there because I've talked about you guys with Brennan and him, you know, so much. Like, at least, and I've, even when he was alive, right, right? I get a, hey, can I call you, right? Hey, can you help me with this knucklehead? Because he's not listening to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And, but Brennan and I, especially this last couple of years, became very close, right? We just had conversations, right? Like, even though I was his sponsor and he relapsed, right? We always stayed in touch. Like, and I'd always tell him, I go, just because you're not, you know, doesn't mean I don't love you any less, right? Like, I'm praying for you. You know, you find whatever works for you. So he'd always call me sometimes and he would just, just to talk, right? And, and I wouldn't judge him, right? And I go, like, I, I'm one to judge. Like, I can't judge you. But he'd always tell me how much he loved you guys and his sisters and his brother, you know, and, and his kids. I mean, and you guys seen in our lives, we would have so much fun on our lives, just, you know, picking on each other and, and you know, like mm-hmm. trying to, right, mess with each other and just having fun with our friendship. And, and you know, and I'm sad, too, because I was supposed to come out, right, for an event that he was doing. He wanted me to come out and he was going to try to get me into it, but he wanted me to come out and meet you guys and, you know, and come stay with him. And, you know, when I found out he passed, I was like, I was in shock, right? Like I just had a conversation maybe a day or two prior to that with him of like what we want to do together. Cause we were going to work together. Right. And, and helping grow his ministry and right. He wanted me to have that other angle on spirituality. Right. Because I really don't go to church that much, but I believe God has saved me so many times, right? Or Jesus. and um, But he was always okay with it, right? He would teach me about the Bible, and I would teach him about staying sober and how, right? Like what I was trying to teach him and, and doing the steps with him is, I go, those 12 steps have been around for thousands of years, right? I would just tell him, Bill, Bill W. And, and Dr. Bob put it in terms we could understand, right? But this is what God and Jesus laid out for us for anybody to use. Right. And he'd right. go, he'd always tell me, he would go, you got me there. I can't argue with you on that one, but he would, we'd always get right. We got close to his four step and that's when like he disappeared. Right. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd always text him. Hey, I'm here for you. Doesn't matter. Just call me. Let me know you're okay. Right. And this has been such a great episode, right. An interview because People get to hear from both you, Jeff, and, and you, Lisa, what it was like as parents to go through that. And you went through that. And some people just like you are still going through it years later, right? Because what you can't tell an addict to stop, right? Like they're going to say, okay, mom, dad said to stop. I think I'll stop today. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work that way, right? But I also wanted to show that other side of how much you guys loved him and how much it hurt, right? But you always loved him and made it known to him that we're here for you, but we're not going to, right? Your addiction's not okay. You go get help, right? And that's tough as a parent because my mom told me, you know, two weeks before she passed, we were watching TV together. Um, She was in her, uh, what do you call it? Assisted living, right? And she was like rubbing my leg and I go, what's going on, mom? And she goes, I want to thank you for your 13 years of sobriety. God answered my prayers. I wanted to tell her it was 14, but of course I did not correct her. (laughs) I let her have it. And I like to tell the audience because to me, it was like, I, that, that being sober, that's what it's all about. Right. It's like, I made my amends to my family and I continue to do so by 
not picking up a drink or a drug and being present for my family, right? Like you guys were the whole time Brendan was doing his thing and still are right now. He's in all of our hearts, right? We all miss him dearly. He's one of the funniest guys I've ever met, right? Like when he's on a roll, you can't stop him. Mm -hmm. Um, But I got to tell you, him and I would always talk about you guys and how much he loved you and how much he was going to stay sober no matter what, right? Not only to help those veterans, but to show you guys how much you meant to him and he meant to you, right? And he wanted to make you guys proud. And I said, dude, you're already doing it. I said, look at the work you're doing with veterans and the book you you came out with. I go, yeah, that part of it's going to make some people uncomfortable, but that's your story. And nobody can take that away from you. I, I, I would tell them, I go, your mom and Jeff are very proud of you. Your mom and dad are very proud of you. Like you've come so far in a short, right? And that we always seem to lose the good ones at an early age, right? But I always say, right? Like when I'm having a rough time, I only talk to God. What I say, not only do I talk to God, I talk to Brennan, right? And I say, hey, you know, and my mom and my little baby granddaughter and you know what I mean? But it's what I have learned in this process. And and, and thank you for coming here is that addiction, like what I try to teach is not just an individual thing. And you guys shared your, you know, how much it did hurt you, how much you loved him. Right. And people got to understand, right. There's a stigma associated with it. And they always think an addict, yes, there's trauma we go through that we, and everybody has some form of trauma, right? But it's not always that abusive parents they had or, right? It could be something totally different. You know what I right. mean? They they witnessed something um, when they were growing up or something happened to them outside the, you know, parent, the home or whatever. But thank you guys so much for being so open and, and sharing how, you know, Brendan has affected you guys now that he's gone and while he was there and and the struggles you went through, but at least at the end, right? Like I saw him going to church with you guys and his sisters. How cool is that? Right. Yeah. So how is his ministry doing now? You know, I know, um, there's still, and I haven't been able to participate like I want to, but I always share with people, right. If you want to help, here's this ministry, right. It's called the journey to the light ministry. My friend started it to help veterans get the the resources they need. How's that going? It's going good. Um, you know, a little slow start, you know, because it's it's just coming up on him being gone. Um, he died June 3rd, so that's what, two weeks away. Um, so it took right. a while for people to you know, on the board to kind of get going again. And you know, it wasn't going for that long what it may be a year before Brennan left and they're, they're having a problem finding someone, which they say they'll never find someone to fit Brennan's shoes. I mean, he could just go out. I mean, he was just everywhere and there for everyone, any time of the day, any night, two o'clock in the morning, the, he was working with the police department. And if someone called in to, to threaten that they were going to kill themselves, they would call Brennan instead of going there and, arresting him or taking whatever they do taking his weapons things like that so you know he was just doing so many different things and um so we're just right now we're we're connecting with some really um great people um somebody that was very fond of brennan that brennan met shortly before he died um he runs a uh thing called center what is it center for Mm -hmm. veterans issues 
And he's, he does exactly what Brennan was doing, but on a huge scale, raises millions of dollars for veterans and things. So oh, wow. he's jumping on board and he's going to give our board, Brennan's board, um, some counseling on how to really get this, this ministry going. We're still doing a lot. Um, we're still helping people. Um, we, we sponsor, adopt veteran families over Christmas and, and gift them with things, you know, people who are struggling, um, doing chores for veterans that are in wheelchairs or whatever. So we're doing a lot of stuff. We just need to get our name out there more. But um, my daughter joined the board. She's now on the board. I'm a silent member or a voting member. Um, so our plan is to, we've got some big things coming up, big things. And yeah. we're pretty excited about it. And he would be really proud, really proud. And of course, we're, we're bringing faith into it because if there's anything I can offer um, whoever's listening to this, whether it's parents or addicts or whoever is listening, I know Brennan would want me to say, find your faith. You know, um, if it weren't for Jesus, Brennan wouldn't have been with us as long as he was. And for whatever reason, Brennan was taken and it, we don't know, but we trust, we trust God and, and his reasons. And, um, but when you're struggling, whether it's struggling to get off of drugs or struggling as a family, trying to get through it with a loved one, uh, God will see you through it. Yeah. I, I was going to say that before, like when you asked, like, how did you learn to start coping with everything and, you know, to maybe find peace within it all, you know, as, as it, as the relapses happen and everything. And she was talking about 2014. She thought, you know, I think, I think a lot of it was just the idea that we became such strong Christians throughout the last 10 years, probably that, you know, you gotta, you know, you ask yourself, you're 24 years old and you meet a woman that's 31 or whatever and has three kids. What made me marry her? And spend the rest of my life with her when I could have married a girl three years younger than me and started fresh, you know, or whatever. Right. And I think it was at like one of those points that, you know, you just, I started asking myself, why am I in the middle of all this? You know, like, this is crazy, but you know, you know, I loved her, so I wasn't going to leave her, you know, right. but then I started to believe that God put me right where I needed to be. I mean, I, I truly believe that he knew where I, I mean, he led me to meet her, you know, cause he knew that I'd stay strong through it and support. And even though it was hard at times and, you know, and you question things, but he knew it there. So then that happened. And then I think it, it got a little more peaceful because you believe that God's got it. You can't control Brennan. I can't, God's going to take him where he's going to take him. We all have, we all, it's already planned. We all know where we're going. You know, I mean, right. again, if you're a true Christian, you know, death is the ultimate goal. You know, that's the ultimate goal is to get to heaven. You know, right. To to Absolutely. With Jesus, you know, so death is the ultimate goal. It's like, when do we cross over? Some of us, I look at maybe, maybe they're luckier than others because they go sooner. Because this world isn't really nice to us. And there's a lot of trials here for a lot of people, not even people on drugs. There's parents out there going through crap, not even dealing with drugs, but every day they have to deal with something. So, you know, that's the ultimate goal. And I think that that true faith, like she said, anybody listening, if you're a parent, you know, not even the addicts, if you're the parents and you, you have kids, 
that are watching an addict in the family, the stronger you show that Christian faith to them and believing that you don't control that person and that you need to support them and, and just understand there's boundaries and stuff, but you know, God's going to take them where he's going to take them. And you, it starts to relieve your brain a little bit and like make you understand why we're really here. You know, I, I, I truly believe that, 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 that saved our family. There's no doubt. Absolutely. I God couldn't agree good. more. God, right? And see, there's used to be this thing on addiction, right? It had to be, it, there's got to be some tough love, I believe, right? But yet there's also, it can't be total tough love, right? There's right. a guy I watched who his take on addiction, right? And he asked, what do you think the opposite of addiction is? It's connection. It's not sobriety. It's connection, right? Why do you think they have meetings, right? It's to connect other addicts and alcoholics with each other, right? So that they can build a community of like-minded people and support each other, right? Because like my mom, she never, one sip and she's like, that's it, right? Like she's never really experienced, right? So she never understood like, why would you do that? Anyway, but you know what I mean? And that's what I have learned, right? There has to be a balance of tough love and yet support and helping them connect with the people that are going to be able to, because we, you, like you said, maybe us parents were so close that we might not be able to help the loved ones, but if we could love them enough to go help them find their tribe, as I like to say, that's our job. Right. And, and, you know, having kids myself and now grandkids, right. It's just like, it's tough to like, let people have their journey. Like, like you said, Jeff, like you want to control it. Like yeah. I'm the man in the house, right? I'm supposed to control this, but here's that thing, right? You want to hear God laugh. They say is tell him your plans. Right. And so he'll, he'll chuckle. If you say, I'm going to control this all God. Like he's like, no, nah, I got this. Let me do it. Right. You go, you go be dad. You go be mom. Um, So now I get to ask you some of the questions that I ask all my guests. Right. You know, I wrote a book also. So the first part of it, fearless, what does fearless going through what you have gone through in the last few years, what does fearless mean to you guys? And how does that show up in your life on a daily basis? Faith. (laughs) I would say faith. I don't fear anything anymore. I feel like when he's ready to take me, he's going to take me and there's nothing I can do to stop it. And, you know, if he wants to take me tomorrow, great. I go meet Brennan and meet somebody, other, my mom, my dad, everybody, you know. Right. But I think <laughs> right. a lot of fearless comes from, from faith. And I'll tell you what, if she didn't have faith, fearless would be a different story. But she has it too, so it really helps you not be feared. You know, not, yeah, right. that's that's my my answer anyhow. What about you, Lisa? He kind of took my answer. <laughs> because I did. I, I, I mean, I lived in fear for many many years and when i just completely surrendered to god and just started having a relationship with him and and trusting him it, it's hard you know right um you say you trust him but then you worry well then you're not really trusting him right so that's a tough one but um yeah i, I it's faith that's yeah. that's what's got us through it for sure Awesome. I mean, knowing that your son is where he is, if you don't have faith, I can't imagine. Yeah. Right. You know, wondering and, you know, why, what was his purpose? Why was he here? You know, all that kind of stuff. Well, we don't have any of that. 
questions, you know. We know. Right. We know where he is. And we know what his purpose was. It's obviously, you know, it's obvious what it was. I mean, his funeral alone probably led hundreds of people to question Christianity, you know, and if they were at that service and heard it, I know, I know personally a couple that came up to me and said, there must be something with this God thing. I need to look into it more, you know, so you know what his purpose was. Right. Maybe saved. How many people did he save? You know, I don't know. Maybe we'll find out one day, but you know, yeah, I, I truly believe that. Yeah. I love that. And then, so the second part of my is happiness, right? And, you know, I put a Y in there. So knowing I put a Y in there, no, I didn't, I spelt it wrong on purpose. I was, <laughs> uh, but there's a reason for it. So happiness, right? And I know you guys have just, re- you know, it's only been a year, but overall, like, what does happiness mean to you? And how does that show up in your lives today now? Knowing I put the Y in there. Go ahead, Lisa, you get to go first. That's a tough one, Max, um, because we're still working really hard on getting our joy and happiness back. Um, I honestly don't even really know how to answer that right now. You mean how do you find happy? How do you find happiness, or not how you find it? So what does that mean to you? Knowing I put there, so I put a why there for a reason, right? Because. And I'll tell you why. So the why starts with you, right? Like, I, if you think about it, right? This because you've asked Brennan this and I've listened All to the it. time. And I used to do this all the time with him. And he'd go, what? What do you mean? Why? Why did you put a why there for? Right? <laughs> uh, and I would tell him, right? And then he would forget. And then the next time we talk, he goes, why did you put the why there for again? And I go, go. go. I'm going to have to tattoo this on your forehead. So if you think about it, nothing outside of us, right, can make us happy, Right? If you think about it, right? But if you like, we believe, right? I believe if God's inside, right? It starts within, like if, right? Because that the whole saying, right? If I don't love myself, how am I going to love you? Right? So if I'm not happy, if I cannot make myself happy, how am I going to make anybody around me happy, right? I love my wife dearly, but she can't always make me happy. I got to find that joy, right? Mm -hmm. And we know that happiness is usually fleeting, right? Because I could get off here and go, God, man, that was so awesome. Stub my toe on the bed over there and go, girl, but you know what I mean? Ah, there goes my happiness, right? But what I have learned is that when I look within, right, and I do the work, right, which I, if I do God's work, I'm always happy, which, and then in turns, turns to joy. Joy is what's lasting, right? And I understand what you're saying, right? It's, it's tough, right? It's almost been a year, but I lost a brother six, well, seven years ago now, you know, from suicide. And it's, it doesn't get any easier, right? And I don't tell people that, oh, get over it, right? Because I can't tell a client who has gone through something similar and go, oh, just get over it. They're going to look at me like, can we just like close the door so I can punch you in the face and not get in trouble for it, you know? <laughs> but we learn to move through it, right? And where you and I, you know, Lisa, Jeff, and myself, we have that faith and we know that it's just one of those challenges God puts us through, but he's going to, he's going to bring that joy in our life. Right. Even though we lost Brennan, look what he did. Right. I know as parents, you two have to be very proud. Like as a friend, I always smile when I talk about Brennan and what he did in his short life and, 
yeah, he could be a PIA big time, right? You know, I don't have to tell you, right? Me and him. But that's why we had such a great friendship, right? Because he could be the pain in the butt one day and the next day it was me and we would just, and we would have fun. But he brought a lot of happiness into my life, right? A lot of joy, right? And then I got to know, well, now I get to know Jeff a little bit better, but I got to know Lisa, right? And hear about his sisters. And that's why I put the why in there. Because I want people to understand like, you know, all the money in the world is not going to make you happy. The best car. Cause you think about it, there's a lot of rich people out there that are miserable, right? Most of them, <laughs> most of them. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. But you know, if like you, us three here, we can, if we can be entrepreneurs, right. And take care of our families and put smiles on our face. That's true. To me, that's true happiness, right? It's not because I'm buying it for them, but I'm giving them that opportunity to to grow as a human being also, right? Like you did with Brennan, even though you suffered for 15 years. And I don't mean to laugh, but I get it because I did the same thing to my mom, right? But I know you guys, you got your Brennan back before he passed and he was there for you. And what a good son he was, you know? And mm-hmm. and like I said, I get happy because I feel like I have a new family out in Wisconsin. So I, I will be out there to come visit someday, uh, cause that's my wife's and I plan to get a little RV and just travel the United States and go visit my friends all over the country that I've become friends with. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's but, awesome. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, and that's, I mean, that's what it means to me, if that makes sense, you yeah. know, like, like having you guys here, I knew this was going to be kind of tough, kind of not, you know what I mean? We could talk about it, but like, like. I don't know. I, I had such a great time with you guys and I, I'm so glad you came and decided to be a guest. Cause I remember I first asked Lisa and it was like, I almost heard her like, Oh no, I'm not doing that. Drew. I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like, never she didn't say it. But she's like, I'm not going to do it. Like I'm not going to do it. But then she, she <laughs> came <tried>. back. And she, <laughs> right. But you guys are great. You know what I mean? I, this is why I show the world, the people I bring on as guests, right? Like you got to show what love as a family is all about, right? Cause he, he didn't come from an abusive background and like, I feel part of your family now. So, you know, I'm putting it out there. I'm going to still help on my part out here in California with his ministry as best I can. we'll talk about that after, yep. but um, yep. I appreciate you guys coming on here, but there's one last question that I ask all my guests. So you're not off the hook just yet. I don't care who answers it, but it, so as parents, right. What is that one piece of advice you would give my audience that will help them grow as a human being and become better people? Don't try to control. (laughs) Don't try to control your kids every move, you know, let them live their life and try to steer. That would be my advice. Steer them in the way that, you know, and I think the number one thing parents can do for their kids is set an example. Live the life you want your kids to live. Don't live a different life and tell them not to smoke, not to drink, not to do this stuff, you know, and then come home from the bar or sit, you know. I mean, I always say, live the life you want your kids to live. That's what I always say. That's awesome. Lead by example. I love it. What about you, Lisa? Any last parting words? I guess I'd have to go back to faith again. You know, it's like. That's part of lead by example. Well, yeah, right. But um, I just really, you know, I'm really just, I've learned so much in the last five years, even though I believed my whole life and I'm in my 60s, I just, in the last five years, I've, I just, 
You know, you never should say I should have, I could have, I wish I would have, but I, I kind of go there because I wish I would have understood more back when I was a young mom, how to have a relationship with Jesus. Cause I pulled away from church completely because I was just not liking what I was, what I had learned. But now that I understand it more and I'm in the Bible and, and praying and whatever else, it's just, um, it brings families close together. And, you know, like Janet is 22 now, our youngest, and, you know, he lost his brother and he wishes Brennan was here today so he could ask him questions about faith because Brennan had a lot of wisdom and experience with it and all. But um, there too, Brennan's passing changed Jaden's life as well because Jaden is in church every week and he's growing and he's, we're just so proud of him. He's just blossoming into this faithful person and it helps him with everyday life because life's not right. easy especially, you know, a 22 year old man. And so, um, that would, that would be my suggestion or that's what I would. I love it. And, you know, I always like to tell people Christianity and following Jesus doesn't mean we're holy rollers and prim and proper type people. You know, we, <laughs> we realize we're sinners and we're, we're going to fail every single day. We're not perfect. You know, I mean, right. we have tattoos, we ride Harleys, we do everything, but, you know, we're not, yeah, exactly. but I think sometimes people that hear people talk like this and they think, oh, I have to sacrifice everything I believe in to become, to like this God guy, you know, or something like that. Right. It's really not like that. You know, you, you, you learn that we're imperfect people living in an imperfect world, you know, and I couldn't agree you're more. Gonna, you're not going to be a holy roller and think you're going to be better than everyone because that's not christianity you know absolutely so well, that hasn't hasn't looked into it yet i'd say look into it you'll be very surprised on how it can change your life absolutely and i couldn't agree more because i mean i i have strong faith i know brendan but you should have heard us before the cameras would come on right like yeah you know you guys would probably say if god heard you talking that way he's going to come down <laughs> and slap you guys one but you know we would always say we're not perfect like you yeah. said right God just expects us to try every day, right? And do our best. He knows because we're human, right? He gave us free will. He understood they're going to make mistakes, right? And if they cuss here and there or do whatever, I'm not going to get mad at them, right? As long as they get back on the horse and keep riding and, and, and show people that, right? Because I wouldn't be here without having faith, without God in my life. Absolutely not. Because I know what it was like to be faithless, right? I was out there doing my thing and Right. And then I would blame God. It was so funny because I was telling myself, well, it was God's fault because I would get around. Why would he arrest a nice guy like me? And he would just laugh and go, he was saving your life, actually. Right. Putting you in a place. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, OK, but yeah, I this has been so amazing. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedules with your families and work and stuff and, and being here with me. Um, Again, thank you. So everybody, you heard it. If if Jeff and Lisa made you cry, if they made you laugh, if they made you think, and as I say, if they made you go, hmm, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star review so everybody can find it. Um, this has been a great episode, everybody. So uh, I pray that you guys find this and it helps you because I know it helped me. I finally got to meet Jeff and well, talk to Lisa some more, but appreciate you guys for being here. Thank you so much. And until next time, everybody, we'll see you later. Thank see you, Max. You. Thanks, Max.